Well, good morning, church. Thanks for being here on this wonderful, wonderful weekend. Let's uh, open up in a word of prayer. Father God, we are so grateful that we are here today. But even more importantly, God, we're so grateful that you're here today. God, that your Holy Spirit was here even before anyone came in this building. That you've already been working. You've already been working in us. And God, I I just want to thank you for every person that's here today that is walking in darkness, that is in the midst of a storm. And God, we thank you that you are a God whose name makes the darkness tremble. That your name will not be overcome. In the name of Jesus, we can overcome anything in our life when we come and bring it to you. And so God, I pray that anyone here in this place today who needs a touch from you, who needs healing from you, who needs someone in their life, to have an experience with you. God, whatever it is, we humbly bring it before you and lay it at your feet. And God, I pray that today, as we worship you, as we listen to your word, as we pray that everything that we do, we we would just be able to give our whole hearts in it and anything that's holding us back, we'd just be able to lay it at your feet, God, expecting something amazing to happen. Because God, you are awesome, amazing, and incredible, and we can't wait to hear what you have to say to us today. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, I got a quick question for you guys. How many of you guys have ever done any type of project? Like I'm talking like anything from home improvement to putting together a puzzle, anything that involves instructions and pieces. Anybody there? Okay, we've all been there? Okay. How many of you had a moment where you're building something and you get right in the middle of it and you decide that you want a new project? You want to build something else. You decide, I want to build a time machine and go back in time to the moment where I started this stupid project and slap myself in the face. Anybody ever been there? And, of course, the problem is you can't even build this stupid thing, so you're not going to be able to build a time machine, so you're completely stuck. It stinks. You know, I I, I heard about a husband one time that said to his wife, Now, listen, honey, when I say I'm going to finish a project, I'm going to finish a project. You don't need to nag me about it every six months. Because the fact in life is this. How many of you have realized that starting things is very, very easy, but finishing things is hard? We all get that? That's, that's a fact. Starting things in life is super, super easy, but finishing is hard. You know, for those of my friends who do long-distance running, they often talk about that feeling you get, they call the wall. That moment that you can actually push through, but you don't always know it in the moment. That moment where suddenly you're going... Maybe it's about that 10-mile mark. For me, it's about the 10-step mark. But that moment where suddenly you just want to quit, I'm done. But then you push through, and there's something amazing on the other side. In First Peter, Peter's been speaking to people who are in a long-distance marathon. He's speaking to people who are going through it right now. And he knows that things have gotten pretty hard right now in their life. They're in a world that does not... Uh, respect Christianity. In fact, it's beginning to persecute Christianity. But what Peter knows, or at least the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter knows, Peter may have no idea, but what's about to happen is things are about to get even worse. And so he's speaking to these people, encouraging them for what's about to come. Because the fact is in life, there will be moments as you're on your race of following Jesus where suddenly things get hard and you want to quit and you have to be able to push through that. Not by your own power, but by God's power. And so Peter is going to talk today about how we finish well as we wrap up First Peter. Some of you are like, finally, my goodness. 
We're going to be wrapping up 1 Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, I'd really love it if you got them out or if you clicked there in your phones. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5. And the first thing I'm going to go, I'm going to get into in just a moment. But the first thing that Peter is going to tell us to do that's so incredibly important for us to do is that we have to clothe ourselves. I want you to turn to someone right now around you and say, listen, thanks for putting on clothes today. Because how many of you would, would agree clothes are important? Can be. Can be. It's nice. Especially here. I appreciate that all you wore clothes today. The thing is, in in First Peter chapter, chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, Peter says this. He's just got done talking to them about the elders in the church, those leaders in the church, how to be a great shepherd, a great pastor. And then he goes into the, to the rest of the congregation and says, listen, in the same way you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due Time. There's a couple things about humility here I love. I'm going to start here at the beginning of the verse. He says, those who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. Now, what's he, what's he talking about here? He's talking about those people that are older, wiser, and have been following Jesus for a lot longer than you. The fact is, in our world, we've kind of forgotten what it means to honor our elders. Oftentimes, my generation can feel like anything that's new is better than what's old. It's almost like the law of our life is that, you know, if it's newer, it must be better. When, in fact, there's a lot of wisdom, especially from people that have followed Jesus for a lot longer than me. I had, I had a meeting this last week with someone in my life who has been in ministry, let, let alone following Jesus, for way longer than I've even been alive. And this guy thinks about things differently than me, and he says things differently than I would think. And he said things to me that made me go, oh, yeah, that, that's good. Didn't like it in the moment all, all the time, because it was different than how I think, but I walked away going, man, yeah, that's good wisdom. Yeah, I need that in my life. The fact is, if you don't have anybody in your life who's older than you or been following Jesus longer than you, who's speaking into your life and walking alongside you, I'll tell you what, I think you're going to be in trouble. If only people that are in your life are the same age as you, I think having older people in your life is so incredibly important. Some of you are like, well... I don't know if there's many people older than me. Well, that that's fine. Some of you. But for, for anyone that's my age, I'll tell you what. Having people that are older than you in your life is so incredibly important. So he says, first of all, you who are younger, humble yourselves. Submit yourself to your elders. And then he goes on. He says, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. I think that's an interesting choice of words. Clothe yourself. How many of you this morning woke up wearing the clothes that you're wearing right now? Anybody? Maybe a couple of you. It's fine. No shame. No judgment. This is church. For the most part, most of us got up and then put on the clothes that we're currently wearing, right? There's some sort of effort that goes into it. You don't just wake up and automatically have it. I'll tell you what, when I woke up this morning, I didn't wake up very humble. I didn't feel a lot of humility this morning. I felt tired and groggy and selfish and grumpy. That was just the morning I was having. And I had to take a moment to put on humility, to talk to God and say, God, okay, I need you in my life. I need, I need to be humbled. This is all you today. I can't go and preach a message and do church 
unless you're at the center of it. I need your power. Humility is something that we put on. It's a choice that we make. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And the way you do that is by putting on humility, making a conscious choice to say, God, I'm going to humble myself today. Or should I say, God, would you humble me? It's about how we think about the world around us. And I love what Peter says. He says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Sometimes when I think of humility, I think, yeah, God blesses the humble, of course. But I don't think about the fact that it says God opposes the proud. It's almost like each day before I put on my spiritual clothes, I have to ask myself, do I want God's favor or do I want God to be against me? Do you want God to be for you or against you? Well, how humble are you? Humility goes beyond just how we treat other people, which is so important. But then he goes on to say, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up. The fact is, each day I have a choice in my life to decide. Am I in charge or is God in charge? Am I going to do this day by my own power or am I going to do this day by God's power? Because the moment that I say, listen, I've got this is the moment that I don't have God's power in my life. That's the reason why prayer is so important, why talking with God and spending time with him, because the greatest sign of arrogance in anyone's life is not just boasting or speaking in a way that that sounds haughty. It's a lack of prayer. Because the moment I'm not praying to God and asking him for help and for his power, I'm saying, listen, God, I've got this. Don't worry about it. Take a day off. And that's always going to end badly in my life. So how do we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand? The first way is, like I said, through prayer, through time with him, through obedience, through utilizing the blessings he's given us, using our time. This week I heard a a message about tithing of your time to God. How how do you take your time, even 10% of your time, and say, listen, God, this time is for you. And, And your money and your resources in the, in the things that you do in your life, how much of that are you giving to God and saying, God, this is all yours? In what areas of our life are we obeying God? and what areas of our life are we not obeying God? What areas do we need to humble ourselves under his hand and say, listen, God, this is all yours? The first thing Peter says to do is to clothe yourself with humility because when you understand what it means to be humble, it changes the suffering and the pain that you go through in life. Because see, when I've already put myself under God's hand and said, God, you're in charge, I'm not. The way I handle suffering in my life changes. Because if I'm going through pain and suffering in my life and everything is about me, then suddenly I'm going to want to say, listen, I'm kind of done with this. I've met a lot of people like that. They've said, you know, I tried that Christianity thing. But it just, eh, just didn't really, didn't really work for me. It didn't make my life better. It didn't change everything in my life. And it's like, what? Okay, but then you maybe didn't try Jesus because Jesus will change everything in your life. But if we're expecting just a magic pill, it's not always going to change everything the way that we want it to. But God will change us. God is faithful. It starts with humility, though. If it's all about me, then God can't work in that way in my life. It's about humbling myself under God's mighty hand and allowing him to lift me up. So the first thing I do is to put on humility, saying I'm going to be humble towards other people, but ultimately, God, I'm humble under you. I'm under your hand today. And the second thing to do when we face things in life that make us want to quit is to take off our anxiety. 
take off your anxiety. First Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. That is a beautiful and wonderful and amazing verse. But, when you just read that verse, there are moments where it can feel kind of like a cliche. Have you ever felt that? Like, it looks great cross-stitched on a pillow. Cast your cares on Him. Cast your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. It's a beautiful and wonderful verse. But how many of you have had moments, maybe maybe as you grew up, if you grew up in the church, where, where people come to you when you're anxious and you're going through stuff, and they, they share that verse with you, and you're like, great, didn't help. Still anxious. I'm still worried. One of the terms I've come to dislike a little bit is the term cliché. Because we use the term cliche to describe something that's used a lot. And, and the idea of a cliche is that it's something that actually isn't quite as powerful as people make it out. It's kind of an empty promise. It's, it's kind of a, you know, oh, well, that happens in life. Or whatever, whatever phraseology you like to use, it's this empty phrase. The fact is, God's word is never empty. But sometimes there's truth in God's word that involves application and casting all of our anxieties on him because he cares for us involves application on our part. It's kind of like if you go up to somebody who's maybe struggling with their weight and you say, listen, the key to weight loss is burning more calories than you're taking in. That is truth. Just about every dietitian will tell you that is truth. But telling somebody that does not make them skinny, does it? Doesn't really help them. Because there's a lot of application that goes into that. There's lifestyle change that go into that. There's everyday practices that go into that. There's something that goes into that. In the same way, there's lifestyle changes that go into casting your anxiety on Jesus. There's daily habits that go into casting your anxiety on Jesus. And so I want to talk about this a little more. And to be clear, whenever the word anxiety is used, something we often do is, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about a text that was written and Greek, and Aramaic, and Hebrew, and then coming to the English language. And so sometimes that word anxiety, we can put it into other contexts. He's talking about the worries and the things of our life. There definitely are things like anxiety attacks. There's mental health issues. There's chemical imbalances in the brain, and God can heal all of those. But sometimes we use this verse as a reason for like, okay, just that, that should just take care of everything. The fact is God has made the brain, and it's amazing, but it can be broken just like any other part of our body. That's why mental health, just like our physical health, is incredibly important. But what he's talking about here is those moments where we have our worries, our things that we're carrying with us throughout our day. And he says this in Matthew 6. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life or what you'll eat or drink, about your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. But they don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? But then we read that and we think, yeah, but I can try. I mean, I'll give it a shot. How am I supposed to know? Maybe it does add an hour. The thing is, we often think we can control things by worrying, but we can't. When we understand that, it changes how we look at the things in our life. When we truly admit, I can't change this without something supernatural. 
Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the promise. You ready? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The opposite of worry, the opposite of anxiety, is not always a change in circumstances. It's the peace of God. The fact is, Jesus promises us a peace that transcends all understanding. And it's something deeper than just peaceful circumstances in our life. When we come to God and we bring our requests to Him, He offers us peace. And this peace is a gift from God. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace, perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in You. Psalm 29.11 says, The Lord gives strength to His people, and the Lord blesses His people with peace. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, The fruits of the Spirit, and one of those fruits... It's peace and joy. The fact is, peace, true peace from God, is not a circumstance. It's not the wind dying down. It's God meeting you and giving you peace in the midst of the wind. True peace from God is not a place. It's a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with you all. I love that because we sometimes we think, man, as a Christian, I, sh- I should just have peace. Obviously these people didn't, otherwise Paul wouldn't have been praying for that for them. Peace is a gift that we can ask for. It's, it's something we can come to God and say, God, I need your perfect peace in the midst of this worry. In the midst of this storm, this past week, I had a little test of my worry, or should I say a test of my peace this past week. My son uh, had some dental work. It really wasn't a big deal, but the big deal to me was that to, for his age, he had to go under anesthesia. So he had to go under, which really isn't a big deal, but to me in the moment, boy, it started to worry me. It started to eat at me. And so we're getting them all there. Look at his special outfit. He looks so cute and awesome. They're giving him all these things to make him feel better. They're giving him stuffed animals with the name of the hospital on it. They're giving him this cool bag. I mean, it is an amazing operation they have there. They are doing such a great job to make him feel better. But no one was really making me feel better. And so it comes time for him to go. And they're like, okay, Timothy, are you ready to go? And he's not, he doesn't go with strangers. And all of a sudden, he's like, okay, cool. And he starts walking off with his nurse. I'm like, what are you doing? And so I'm like, hey, I can walk him to the room. And they're like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm like, no, really? Because in my mind, I thought maybe that we'd like hold his hand while he went under the, uh, the anesthesia and all that kind of stuff. They're like, no, you're good. You just stay here. I'm like, I can walk with him. Really? It's okay. They're like, no. And the, the nurse turned to me and says, he's okay. And I'm like, but I'm not. Why don't you give me some of what you're giving him? Because I'm freaking out a little bit. And so I'm sitting there in this room with my wife. It's a wonderful little private room. It was was really great they did that. Because I got a moment just to sit there and close my eyes and say, Okay, God, you've got my son. You care about him more than I ever will. 
And in like 20, in just a few hours, I'm going to be going, man, why was I freaking out this much? And so in that moment, I was able to come to God and ask him for help and ask him for peace. And all of a sudden, really, this perfect peace came over me. And I thought of the song that we just sang a moment ago. Peace. Bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it fade at your name. One of the coolest stories in the Bible is the moment where the apostles are in a boat and the storm is raging around them. And suddenly they get so focused on the storm that they forget who's in their boat. And then they wake up Jesus and Jesus gets up and he stops the storm from raging. And Jesus is kind of frustrated with them that they would be so doubtful because I think the underlying principle of that whole story is that no matter what storm is raging around me, it's not about the storm. It's not even about stopping the storm. It's about who's in the boat with me. Because as long as Jesus is in my boat, my boat will stay afloat. As long as Jesus is walking in my life with me, then there's nothing that can truly take me down. It's not about stopping the storm. It's not about finding the shallow water. It's not about staying away from the things that cause me stress. It's about having Jesus in the boat with me. Because that's where I get a peace that surpasses all understanding. For a Christ follower, we have peace in circumstances that are not peaceful when we truly are close to Jesus and are walking alongside Him. The fact is, though, this whole verse, it connects back to the verse before it. It requires submission. It requires humbling yourself under God's mighty hand so that He can lift us up. Because the fact is, I will never have peace in my life by my own strength. If I'm running life by my own strength, then I better stay at about this much water because I can't go much deeper. I can't handle storms of life on my own. I'm not good at it. It's only by having Jesus along with me and submitting to Him in His way that I get this peace that surpasses all understanding. Thirdly, after we've humbled ourselves and put on humility, that we've continued to cast our anxieties on Jesus because He cares for us, and Peter continues on. He says we need to stay alert. Tell someone here next to you is sleeping. Wake up. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Peter says to be alert. We talked about last week, what a, or a couple weeks ago, what a sober mind means. It means staying from anything, away from anything that intoxicates our minds and takes us away from our purpose. We're called to be alert and wake up to the fact that we have an enemy in the devil who's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The fact is, the devil is coming at us in so many different ways. Two of the ways that I see quite often in our life is busyness and hurry. I've heard it said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll just make you really, really busy. We live in a world of constant pace in our world. Sometimes we get so busy that we don't see what the devil's trying to do in our life. Sometimes we get so hurry. We, we, we live a life at such a fast pace where we go and we have so many things jammed into our life that we miss what God's trying to do. And we miss what the devil's trying to do to us. So there's three things to being on alert in our life that I think are so incredibly important. 
The first one is this one. I, I think, and this is going to sound weird when I say it, but we have to respect the devil. We have to respect the fact that the devil can actually tempt people. I, I've seen him tempt people all the time and take people away from Jesus. And so therefore, we have to respect the fact that we have an enemy and that he is an opponent. That if we are not careful, if we are not walking with Jesus, putting on our spiritual armor, he can come at us and tempt us and do things to us. We have to respect his ability to deceive us. We have to recognize the devil. Now, I'm not someone, you know, there was an old comedian, I think back in the 90s, that used to always do things and say, oh, the devil made me do it. And sometimes in our world, I think we like to do that. Go like, oh, you know, blame things on the devil. The devil did this. The devil did that. Well, we're pretty good at messing up our lives on our own without the devil. I'll just be honest. We're born into a sinful nature. I'm pretty good at screwing myself up. But the fact is we have to understand that the devil is working. He's working to tempt us. He's working to, to do things in our life to try to draw us away, to put things in our life that draw us away from God. We have to recognize what the devil is doing in our life. And finally, we have to resist the devil. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 9 says, Resist him, standing firm in the faith. See, ultimately, this all is, comes into verses 10 and 11. He says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. If we resist the devil standing firm in the faith, God will come and restore us, making us strong and firm and steadfast. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, who seeks to follow Him in your life. Maybe you're not perfect, but you want to follow the one who is. There will be moments in your life where things don't always go according to plan. There will be moments in your life where things start to wear on you, things get heavy, and you're not sure if you can carry on. Well, thanks be to God that my feelings never dictate my relationship with Jesus. Even in the moments where I feel like I can't go on, I feel like this isn't working, it doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change the fact that He is working, that He is all-powerful, that He is almighty, that He is working in every single circumstance to make all things good for those who are called according to His purpose. My God is always working and He's always faithful. And so the fact is, I just have to stand on his promises. And sometimes that standing is a, is a very wobbly standing. Sometimes that standing is more like kneeling on his promises. Because I can't stand. The fact is, in my life, that's a good place to be. When the world knocks me to my knees, when the things going on in my life knock me down and I'm on my knees, well, that's a good time to pray. That's a great place to be, on my knees before God. Because I can't carry the burdens of life on my own whether it's a wrestle with temptation or a wrestle with anxiety or a wrestle with worry or a wrestle with things going on in my life, life's circumstances. There's a verse that says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
fact is, everything that you're doing, those moments where you want to give up, it's not in vain. God is doing something. He's faithful. He's working in you. Just continue to humble yourself before God. Continue to give Him everything in your life, all of your worries, all of your anxieties. Continuing to be alert to what the devil's trying to do to tempt you to draw away and standing on His promises saying, God, I don't always feel good, but I know You're good. I'm standing on Your truth and Your knowledge and Your wisdom no matter what in my life. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, we come before You today and we just want to Acknowledge the fact that some of us are hurting today. Some of us are weary today. Some of us feel like we can't go on another second today. And for anyone in this place, anyone can hear my voice right now that's struggling to take their next step, that feels like they can't do it anymore. God, we praise you that you're not a God of our feelings, but you're a God of promises. You're a God who promises us that you can make all things for the good, that if we stand firm in you, you will bring us up. Even though we may suffer for a short time, you will make us firm and steadfast in you. And so, God, I pray through your Holy Spirit that anyone in this place today who needs encouragement from you, who needs that, that, that reminder that they can come to you in everything, would you please do something amazing in our hearts, God? Would you give us supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding? Would you give us a supernatural joy that comes from your Holy Spirit? God, would you work in us in a mighty and incredible way right now, reminding us of the fact that you are in control. You are God. You are awesome. And you have this in the palm of your hand. God, we give it all to you today. We thank you for what you're going to do with it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Church, we love you. One of the things we love to do is continue to worship. And I think today as we talk about this God that's got us in his hand, that this is a really good time to worship. Amen? Amen. So let's just worship him. You can worship him any way that, that God is leading you right now, but especially if we can pray for you in any area. we got someone that either crossed that would absolutely love to do that with you. Church, we love you. You're awesome. Let's continue worshiping Jesus together.